This is Cherie Trask, author of Surviving Silence, and you're listening to Relationships and Revenue with John Hewlin. This is Relationships and Revenue, the show where real answers come from real discussions about what holds men back in their relationships at home and in business. A better bottom line at work means improving life at home. This show is all about helping you become a better entrepreneur and a better man. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin. So glad you decided to join us again today. And as you heard from the introduction, I have the one and only Cherie Trask with me. Cherie, how are you? I am great. Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And as you guys heard, she mentioned she is the author of a brand new book. And when I say brand new, Cherie, tell us, when did that come out? October 15th of 2022. Oh, my goodness. That is like real, real recent. So super excited. And we're definitely going to get into that. That's surviving silence, a healthy path to living out loud after trauma. So be prepared, folks. This is going to be a little heavy. So if you're not ready for heavy, just pause, come back to it when you're ready, but it's going to be worth it. I promise. Now, quite obviously, Sheree is an author, but in addition to that, she is a ghostwriter, a wordsmith, now, I would love to hear back from some of you. Do any of you know what a wordsmith is? I do. But I want to know if you know what that is. All wordsmiths will know exactly what that is. Everybody else probably doesn't care. But that's all right. It's, it, I geek out on stuff like that, so I think it's pretty cool. Certainly an entrepreneur. You are uh, an, a nonfiction author coach and a speaker. Have I missed anything? <laughs> you know, they're all just labels, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's I'm just true. a human having a human experience. You know how to, you know how it goes. <laughs> okay. It's just in what form does that experience take place? I mean, all of them, right? We get yeah. to have whatever experience we choose to have. So I'm just here riding the wave. There you go. There you go. All right. And from the research that I did on you, Cherie, uh, one of the things that you say on your website, you talk about, uh, making a difference in helping transformational leaders write transformational books. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So my work is centered around people that are committed to making a difference in the world. So I've been in this work for nearly 11 years now and as a book writing coach and ghostwriter. And when people come to me and the first thing they say is I want to make money, automatically I know that they're not the right client for me. Not because money's bad and I'll get back to that. Um, or, or they'll say something to the effect of, you know, I just want to make an impact. And, and there it's what lights my heart on fire. It's like, great, because once you make the impact, I truly believe that the money follows. A lot of people have this misconception that you'll write a book and then you'll become a bestseller and all of a sudden you'll make all this money. And while that would be lovely, it's not actually what usually happens. It's what comes from the authority of being an author that creates the opportunities that create the income moving forward. Yes. You know, folks, you've heard, you all heard me say this before many times. When you travel down this road of writing a book, it seems like everywhere you turn, you meet authors. I, it's not an exaggeration to say I know at least 500 authors. And I think that's very exciting uh, because Sheree may not know this. I'm actually in the process of writing my first book. 
Yes, it's called. I uh, did not know. Yeah, it's called Masculine Revolution: How to Ask for Directions Without Losing Your Man Card. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, and the book, not unlike this podcast, originate from a place of pain. Uh, for me, the pain was my divorce, and my divorce was completely preventable, completely, as I believe most are. And so one of the things that I want to do with the book is to encourage men on how to dig deeper into themselves, learn some things that they've never been taught before on how to get better at relationships. Because I believe when we're better at our personal relationships, we get better in our business relationships. It just flows out of that. There's no, you can't turn it off. When things aren't going right at home, when you get to work, you don't shut that part of your brain off. You can try, but it doesn't really work. So that's part of the reason why I'm writing the book, is, is to try and help other people. But honestly, what I care about, and it reminds me of a, a post, I think it was a story you put on Instagram, even today, because you highlighted it, about the one person that it made a difference for, the mm -hmm. book. Yeah. And to me, that's why I'm writing it. If I make a difference in one person's life, it is totally worth it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So let's dig into that a little bit. Let's dig into your book, Surviving Silence. Take us back uh, because obviously there's a story behind this and we're going to be talking about trauma and that sort of thing. So what is it that happened to you and how were you able to work through that to get to the point where you felt like I have something worthwhile to share with the world through this book? Yeah. So um, I guess I'll start by just saying like a caveat to all of this is I was really blessed in the way that I was raised. I was raised by a single mom who worked really hard, but she was also incredibly kind and nurturing and compassionate and I just saw the way that she treated other people. And most of the time, even now, I'm in awe of the fact that she can be that way. It's an amazing gift that she has. I was also, when my mom was at work when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother who believed in the Buddhist philosophy, which essentially says, you know, be a good person. It's really not that hard. Um, and so she really believed that everything that happened in our lives served a purpose. Well, when you're a kid, you don't want to hear that, right? Like, <laughs> not about something and my grandma would say, you know, find the four, Cherie. And I was like, oh my God, if I hear this one more time. Well, fast forward to, you know, moving to California from the Seattle area right after high school. I came to San Diego for college and I had been here just about a year. And I had reluctantly met up with this guy who had been asking me out for a really long time, who I found incredibly annoying, quite frankly. And I was like, <laughs> if I just say yes, he will get off my back. Mm -hmm. Well, we were going to a movie for our date and he asked that I meet him at his house because it was by the theater. And my body was like, probably you shouldn't do that. But also I had known this person, although not well for a long time just because he would come into the place where I was working all the time. Hmm. So I was like, ah, I mean, not that big of a deal, I guess. But, you know, it's those things that we, we tend to ignore intuition sometimes when we just want to move forward or ignore or not, not listen to it, right? Like it's really easy to do that. So I ended up meeting him at his house and I knocked on the door and he's like, hey, come inside, come grab a jacket. It's going to get cold in the theater. And again, everything in my body was like, 
I don't want to go inside your house. Why don't you just come out because we're going to a movie? <laughs> Yet, I ignored it and I walked inside. I hear him walk to the back of his house and he starts yelling, hey, come back here, grab a jacket. Now I yell back, just grab a jacket. I don't really care what jacket it is. It doesn't matter to me. To me, I was like getting so annoyed because I felt like it was such a ridiculous like conversation you were having. It was so stupid. So I walk back there and I'm like, I put my arm out like to go grab this jacket and he grabbed me. And from that moment was, it would become like, the most pivotal moment of my entire life. He ripped my shirt down the middle. He pulled my pants down. He threw me on the bed and he proceeded to rape me. And through that process, uh, there are moments that I completely blacked out, which I now know to be disassociative amnesia, which I can talk about that. It's the essentially me protecting myself by blocking memories in that moment, but also blocking memories prior to and post the trauma, which I still have not been able to recover. And maybe that's a good thing. Um, but during the process, like I remember his aftershave, I remember the way his scrap of, on his face felt against my neck. I remember my nails digging to his back as I was pleading for him to stop. Um, I remember all of these things. And then when he was finished, he stood up and he looked at me with a smirk on his face and he just said, see, baby, I told you you'd like it. And he walked out. And it was that moment that I was like, this is not my life. This did not just happen to me. And I fell off, off of his bed onto my knees and there was a bathroom adjacent. And I crawled into the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and all I saw was the shell of a person with mascara streaked on my cheeks. I, it felt like I was looking at a stranger. Like I did not recognize the person that I was looking at. And it was definitely not the same person that had walked into the house that night. So I pulled myself together. I, I wrapped my shirt around my breasts and I walked out of his house. I didn't say anything. And I walked into my car and I sat there and it was pouring rain. And this was in San Diego, um, October 15th, which that's why I released my book on that date was to rewrite the story. And I prayed. I sat there and prayed and I said, God, I know we don't talk much, but if there is a reason that this happened, I need you to show me what that is. And I promise you, I will do something with it. I'm not leaving this parking spot until I have forgiven this person, because I know that this is bigger than this whole experience. The reason that this happened has to be bigger or you're an asshole, essentially, <laughs> was my thought process. Mm -hmm. So I sat there, and I don't know how long I sat there, but I can honestly say with my whole heart, I did forgive that person that night before I left the parking spot. And the real forgiveness would be the subsequent three and a half years later where I remained silent and didn't say anything to anybody. And it was just three, three weeks after that assault then I ended up in the ER really sick, not understanding like what is going on to find out I was pregnant from the rape. Oh, wow. So it was ectopic, which means it was in my fallopian tubes. Um, <clears throat> and I had two options. You know, I could have surgery, which would decrease my chances of having children in the future, possibly. Or I could go through four months of chemo injections to be able to allow it to pass uh, safely through my fallopian tubes. And I, I chose the latter. Um, because I didn't know if I wanted to have kids, but all of this was done in secret. 
So imagine being a 19-year-old girl who's going to college in a new place where you don't really know a whole lot of people. And this happens and you think, oh my God, I just don't want to be any different. I'm not telling anybody. And I didn't. You didn't even tell your mom? I didn't tell anybody about the assault wow. until three and a half years later, it, it, <laughs> it literally fell out of my mouth. And I was like, oh shit, <laughs> I can't take that back. So it was that moment that I was like, okay, well, I guess we're talking about this now. And that was 2004 when I started publicly speaking about this. So it's been a long time. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So if this, and, and I, I don't mean to dig too deeply into this because it's more my curiosity in trying to understand things. If this is someone you saw who came into where you worked on a regular basis and then this thing happened, did he continue to come in? He did. Wow, that is ballsy. Mm -hmm. Whoa. And you know what's crazy is so my mom had come because I told her that I got pregnant. And I told oh. her I got pregnant just because I had sex. I didn't tell her the basis behind the assault. Gotcha. So she came, um, she flew in, and I still had to work. So she came and sat at work with me one of the evenings that I was working, and it was in a salon. And um, he came in and did his thing, and he left. And my mom, when he left, was like, who is that person? And I was like, nobody, why? And she's like, you are white as a ghost. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I just, I don't feel really well. And I made excuses, but my mom saw him <laughs> and yeah. like walked in, walked out. Wow. Mm -hmm. okay. So what, what was that like for you? Even though you told us that you got to the point in the parking lot where you were able to forgive this person, what was it like seeing him again? For the first time it was disgusting that's the only word that comes up all i can think was like how dare you yeah i was mad mm -hmm. but yeah. you you didn't file any charges against this guy no and that's where the forgiveness part came in right like okay it was easy for me to forgive him for whatever reason i think i, I truly just believe that like Good people don't hurt people on purpose. I just don't think that happens. I think hurt people hurt people. So I was able to at least get to the place where I could have compassion and empathy for he must be really going through it if he's going to project that pain into someone else because I was merely the vessel to pour that pain into. It wasn't about me. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. I never felt guilt or shame or any of the emotions that so often come with this kind of trauma mm -hmm. all of those things came from the fact that i didn't say anything because all i could think of was oh my god how many other people is he going to do this to or has he done this to or all of the other people this happens to every single day in our world so it took me a long time to really come to terms with my own soul and like I didn't stay silent because I wanted to hurt anybody. I stay silent as my own mode of self-protection so I could continue going to school and all of the things that I was doing. Right. That makes sense. I get that. So, so this happened in 04, correct? 
This happened in 2000. Well, this happened in 2000. You started speaking about it in 2004. Okay. So this was 22 years ago that this happened. Okay. Mm -hmm. So why, why wait so long to write the book? I'm I'm just I'm curious for someone who's been working in the field for as long as you have. I'm yeah. why did you wait so long to do that? Yeah, you know there. I believe this, and I tell my clients this all the time. I believe there's a moment that you, you just know, like it's time now. And I had sat down a couple of times in years prior, and I'd started to write, and everything in me was like, I mean, you're almost there. It's not quite time. So when I sat down to write this book, I actually scrapped everything I'd ever written, which I tell clients to do all the time. When they come to me and they're like, oh, I have this manuscript and I have whatever. I'm like, right. When did you write that? <laughs> you're so pretty sure you're a different person now, or at least I hope so. And that's fantastic. So we're going to take that aside and we're going to start over. Um, they don't usually like that at first, but then they understand. <laughs> so... So I did that. And because like every piece of my mind, body, and soul was prepared from a place of safety to be able to share what I really felt was important to share, it was done in three months. I was written, ready to go. And I was like, let's publish. It's time to go. So got with my editor, got with my publisher, and I was like, moving forward. Let's make it happen. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So... How does that work for you? I mean, do people find you to be their author coach or do they just hear about you or are there people like, you know, their story and you're like, your story needs to get out. Mm. Let's talk about that. Yeah. And, you know, I've been really blessed in that I, my entire career has been referral based. And it's been from people that have either seen me on social media talking about things and they're curious or direct referrals for past clients. So I get to work with freaking amazing people. And I'm just so honored to be able to hold their stories with such care and, and walk them through that. Because most of my clients, too, are, are writing about something that has been profound in their lives. Because I only write in transformational nonfiction, meaning personal development, self-help, and teaching memoir. Gotcha. Okay. And that's, I mean, that's obviously that's very, it's a very narrow field. Yep. Not that that's a bad thing. I mean, it's, it's clear, you know, this is who I serve and this is what we do. Mm -hmm. I'm not for everybody and that's okay. Exactly. And that's a goodness. That's a message I preach on here all the time. Yeah. Like, you are not for everybody. If you're trying to be for everybody, you're going to be for nobody. Yeah. And that's, and that doesn't help anyone. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So when you are writing the book, other than it being an exercise in just getting your story out of you, tell me, I mean, however many reasons there are, reasons for writing the book. So I mean, why did you do it other than yeah. to get your story out? Yeah, honestly, like, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've spoken on a stage and afterward there has been lines of people some of which have said, I've never shared my story with anybody. And I'm telling you for the first time right now, and I don't even know you, but I feel like you get me. Mm. And so like over and over again, this has been for years, this has been happening. And I'm like, there's something here. And I got to the point and I even, I was talking to my therapist about this before I decided to pull the trigger and make the book happen. I was like, 
I honestly, I'm just so sick of regurgitating this story. I'm so, I'm over it. I'm so done <laughs> telling it. Yeah. Like, right. But like, think of all of the people that get to benefit from, from your story and their own journey. And I was like, right. Which is why I, it's time to have a book so I can just be like, here's the book. <laughs> right. Here's the book. And it, I don't <laughs> mind talking about it, right? Like on a podcast or whatever, of course, like it's a huge part of who I am and why I do the work that I do. Mm-hmm. But I knew that by writing the book, it would be something that anybody that's experienced any sort of trauma, which I think is most of us, could pick up and and get something from. And it's not one of the things that separates this book from other books on trauma, which whether it's better or worse, it's not either, um, is really the fact that I also talk to the loved ones of survivors. So like it's really hard for a lot of loved ones to understand. Number one, they can't understand what is what has happened unless you've been through it. You just, you can't, and it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really hard to understand how to have a conversation in a way that is compassionate and empathetic without feeling like you're trying to uh, pull too much information that somebody's not ready to talk about, which often leads to re-traumatization, which we don't want to do. But I, I go through some dialoguing within the book that is, you know, these are the questions to ask. This is how we can respond and stuff like that. And I think it's really important because I have had loved ones of survivors reach out to me just asking for support. And I'm like, oh, my God, these people have no resources. That's not fair. Right. Right. So there is there is a piece within the book that goes into that as well. So to me, it's like if, if I could help one person, I've done my job. Mm-hmm. And if I can help lots of people, I'm the happiest person on the planet. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I get that. You know, you're talking about, you know, these uh, family members, friends, that sort of thing, people who are close to someone who's been through trauma, not knowing what to do. They want to help, but don't know how. I will tell you that it's been my experience, having had some friends and family members that have gone through various types of trauma, uh, it's very helpless. Mm-hmm. And no one wants to feel that way. And in my pursuit of trying to be less helpless, I got more frustrated, not because of a lack of resources, but because the resources weren't actually helpful. Meaning the resources that I found were so academic. Mm. I'm talking about high academic. I mean, I'm not an idiot. I'm not. And I had to get a dictionary out Mm -hmm. to to figure out some of what they were saying. And I'm like, it's like, can't anybody take these concepts and make it so that most of us can understand it or at yeah. least choose different words yeah. to help us understand? Because otherwise it's like, I'm so smart. I know these things. You're dumb. You don't just listen to what I say. Yeah. And I, I don't work that way. So. <laughs> totally. And I think, you know, some people do work that way. My boyfriend's a great example. <laughs> <laughs> He's the facts. I'm the feelings. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but in that, I think that there's something to be said about our ability or or our willingness to create a conscious dialogue around the things that feel uncomfortable to talk about. Because let's face it, when we're talking about trauma of any kind, it, it, nobody's trauma is better or worse than the other person. But it's it's all perception, right? Like how we experience it. So when we're talking about trauma, 
that's never from a place of thought. It's a felt sense from, from the person who's experienced it, right? The person who is receiving that felt experience likely takes it into more of a thought-based place because they're like, how do I help? How do I help? How do I help? Instead of safely sitting with the person and holding space for their experience to unfold and breathe, and then asking questions. Because sometimes I can say from experience of myself and other people who I've spoken to, we just want to be heard. We just want to know that we're not alone. I don't want you to fix it. I don't want you to solve it. Because most of the time, unless again, you've experienced it, you don't know what the hell to do. And that's okay. Like, it is just as important to have the space holder than it is to be able to, you know, go to a therapist and, and actually get some tools to fix what's going, not fix, but support what's going on. Sure. Uh, can you give us an example or two of some of these types of questions that would be, say, someone was talking to you mm-hmm. and uh, they're hearing your story. Someone close to you is hearing it for the first time. What were some questions that would have been helpful for you to receive from that person that would have, this isn't the right word, but that would have appeased them, meaning they would have gotten some sort of information, but at the same time, it wouldn't feel like they were trying to fix it for you. Yeah. So yes. And I think it's important to note that the way that the survivor positions themselves in the conversation is equally as important. Oh, okay. So uh, what I mean by that is oftentimes we go into a conversation with the expectation that, oh, this person loves me, so they definitely want to hear what I have to say. <laughs> right, probably. But if they're not in a space to hear what, you're, what you want to share, their response is usually a reactionary response versus a loving, conscious response. So what I've shared with clients over and over again is when you're having these conversations with the people that you love in your life to ask permission, and that could look like, hey, I'm going through something right now that feels really heavy, and I'd really like to share it with you. Do you have the space to hold for me to share my experience? I'm not looking for you to fix anything. I just really need to feel heard right now. The person receiving that information can say something to the effect of, yes, I would love to do that for you. I'm here. I'm listening. What do you need? They have the conversation, right? Or it could look like, you know what? I love you. I definitely want to listen to everything you have to say. My mind's a little bit in work right now, and I want to be present for this conversation. So can can we circle back in 30 minutes? Mm. Whatever that looks like, right? And then the survivor then is guiding the conversation from that point when they get to have the conversation. A lot of times we assume that the person will know what to say. I've been guilty of this plenty of times. Like a perfect example. My boyfriend and I had an argument. My car was stolen a month ago. Oh, no. And I mean, things happen, right? And we have this argument because I was like, I don't feel supported right now. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like the most supportive person ever. I'm like, yes, you are a supportive person, but right now you're not supporting me. And he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, why didn't you, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you do that? And he's like, you didn't ask me to. And I was like, 
Right. (laughs) (laughs) Also true. (laughs) Right. So like there, there's moments where we have to take a step back and be like, you know what? This person doesn't know how to support me because we've never been in this space before. So it's up to me to say what I need in order to feel supported. And if I don't know what I need, it's also up to me to say, I don't know what I need. Yeah. So there's so much that goes into having a conversation. And again, like this isn't just trauma conversations. This is any conversation. It's in relationships and professional and personal. And they are all tied together, which I know that we're going to talk about. So really being conscious as to the words that you're choosing, even if that means slowing yourself down, it, for example, if somebody comes to you and and they have something they want to talk about, you're like not ready to be in that space. Instead of being reactionary and being like, oh my God, can you just give me a minute? I'm in the middle of something. Taking a step back and being like, hey, totally want to hear you. I can't be present right now and I want to be. So I'd love to circle back to this and coming back. Be also like the follow-up <laughs> because a lot of people have, you know, they'll, they'll say the thing, but they don't act. And that's super important in any type of relationship is to follow through. For sure. For sure. It also sounds like your boyfriend and I need to have a conversation about some <laughs> things that he could be working on to improve and learning about these whole feeling slash emotion side of things. So. Yeah, th- this is always like our our ongoing joke because he's like, you just have higher emotional intelligence than I do. I'm like, I know I do. I'm trying to teach you. <laughs> and he's like, right. But I'm also the person who, you know, I, I can think a certain way and I can put things together for you. And it, meaning I get so caught up in my emotions oftentimes that I need him to ground me back into reality of what's okay. happening happening so he does a really good job at that but then there are moments like this where we don't communicate as effectively we both know that we're both like oh my god we have to keep working on this (laughs) because it's so opposite for us both yeah i get that um and i and i can see how he could help you in those moments Mm -hmm. when you're kind of losing touch with reality kind of bringing you back but the real question is, does he see the opportunities for him to grow and to be and to expand in an area that he doesn't know? Yes, he's actually really good at that. Um, I think, you know, I think we both and I think we all have work to do in all of the different capacities in which we maybe have lack, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very open minded. It's one of the reasons that. I was drawn to him in the first place when we first met is his ability to listen and also say like, I heard you. I don't agree with you at all. (laughs) 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 Instead of just being like, oh yeah. uh Mm -hmm." And being totally agreeable because I don't like agreeable. It drives me crazy. So he's great with that. He's also good at putting things into perspective. (laughs) Funny story. I, before, right before my car was stolen, I had COVID. It, September was crazy. And I was having like these raging headaches. Mm. This is a perfect example of our relationship. And I thought I had a hair appointment. So I show up at the salon and I'm waiting there and I'm there for 30 minutes. My girl's never late. And I was like, what is going on? So I walk back and I'm like, hey, don't I have an appointment? She's like, yeah. 
tomorrow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I freak out because I'm getting these headaches and all this stuff. I call my boyfriend, I'm crying. And he's like, why are you crying? You just missed a hair appointment. I was like, I think I have a brain tumor. And he's like, babe, if you really think that you have a brain tumor, let's go get you an MRI, like whatever you need to do. But also, I want you to consider something. You've been super stressed out. There's a lot going on. You've been sick. You probably just start thinking straight. And that's okay. People miss appointments. And I was like, but I don't miss appointments ever. (laughs) (laughs) But he had the ability to say like, right. I'm going to support you, even though I think you're acting like a, you're acting cuckoo bananas right now, straight up. <laughs> but I'm going to support that. And I'm going to give you a different perspective. And I think that's really important for the conversations around trauma too, right? Like mm-hmm. we may seem erratic in the moment because we don't know how to express accurately, or we don't even know what we're feeling because we've never felt these things before. Yeah. But having the person on the other end say like, I'm here to hold space for whatever you need and... If you're open to it, that's a, that's a big one. If you're open to it, I'd love to provide a different perspective. Gotcha. You know, you, you asked a question in the book, and I'm curious if you actually got the answer to it. The question was, why did this happen to me? Mm-hmm. Did you yeah. ever get an, an answer to that? So two things. I don't necessarily think things happen to us. I don't, again, I think it's because of how I was raised. Like, it's hard for me to grasp that. Mm-hmm. I think that things happen for us, even the things that we don't understand. So sometimes, like, there's plenty of people that are like, I don't think everything happens for a reason. So some things are just shitty. And I'm like, right, some things are. But somewhere in the universe, I believe, even if it's not for us directly, there's a reason that it happened that way in order for things to fall into place the way that they do. So... Believe it or, or not, that's, that's my belief system. <clears throat> so when we talk about why, does it, why did this happen to me, and all of the chapters in my book are questions p- that I posed throughout the process of healing and questions that other survivors have come to me with throughout their own healing process as well. So every chapter is dedicated to a question and story, of course. So with this question in particular, for me, it's, Yeah, it happened because I was supposed to be doing this work because I was supposed to share the story because I was supposed to what I call be a voice for the voiceless, the people that have something to share, but either aren't ready, aren't able or are unwilling to share, you know, the deepest pieces, the, the tender pieces, the things that make us uncomfortable. Talking about rape openly as just an example, is uncomfortable for a lot of people. You know, it's taboo. Talking about sex is taboo, which again, I talk about that in my book too, because when you are assaulted, going into the world as whether you're female or male and having intimate experiences, they change after you've been assaulted. So I, I truly believe that the reason that this happened for me was because I was supposed to do this work. I was supposed to help people share their stories and I was supposed to share mine. Gotcha. You know, whether it's something good or something not as good, I have found asking that question, why did this happen, tends to not produce very good fruit. I don't, I don't think it's a very good question. Um, I got this question years ago uh, from, from a coach his name's Dan Miller. He wrote the book, 48 Days to the Work You Love. 
And Dan posed this question. Rather than asking the why question, saying, what does this make possible? Mm, I love that. And it's, it truly has been a revolutionary question for me. It has changed the way I look at everything. And really, I mean, your description of what came out of all this answers that question. Mm-hmm. It made so many things possible, mm. not only possible, but they became reality for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. But definitely that whole, this happens for me, not to me. And mm-hmm. that's, that has everything to do with just kind of how you view the world. Yeah. Because if you think things are happening to you, that means you have You've given away your power. For sure. For sure. And not that we really have control, because truthfully, we really don't. Right. But we absolutely have a choice in how we react to the things that happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I want to jump in just for a moment into your, I'll call it your coaching practice, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. Yeah. Who's an ideal client for you? Um, I work with coaches, healers, and transformational leaders. So that ranges from, you know, CEOs of large companies that are doing like heart-centered, impactful work. Um, I'm not going to help write a book for an IT person because to me, it's not exciting and I know nothing about it. (laughs) Okay. Right. I get that. Yeah. So I have a background in holistic health and nutrition and a background in trauma. So those are, those tend to be the people that I work with. They're people that they have a story to share in those ways. I work with a lot of coaches, um, a lot of people in the healing space that are just looking to share their story to make a bigger impact. Sure. Okay. We talked earlier about this, and I, I think we talked about it before we got on uh, the recording here, about what a significant role pain plays in our lives. And we've been using the word trauma, but I mean, pain can be a substitute for that word. And so um, I have found, and I think you would agree for yourself, you have found that your pain turned into your source of your purpose, why Mm -hmm. you're here, why you're here Mm -hmm. to do the things that you do, and ultimately created a platform for you to be able to share all that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Pain, purpose, platform. Remember that, folks. You hear me say it all the time. I'm going to keep saying it, so get on board with it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what is the process like for you in helping these transformational leaders get their stories out yeah. because I can imagine that most of them are not real good at that. You'd be surprised actually. So most of the people that I work with that tend to have, um, I mean, the world, the way it is today, most people have social media, right? And so they're on social media in one way or another. So in some capacity, they're already sharing, whether it's their story or just pieces of, you know, their business or whatever it looks like. So they're used to sharing something. So when we begin working together, you know, on our initial call before I even take the client is I'm asking them to kind of walk me through the story and why it even matters. Not why it matters necessarily to them, but why it matters to the world. Um, And through that process, we're able to pinpoint like the, the pieces that, that are story worthy, if you will. 
Because everybody has a story, but I think the mistake that most people make is that they try to throw everything but the kitchen sink within one book, thinking, oh, this is important. This is important. This is important. It's like, to who? It's important <laughs> to you. So when I do take on a client, the first thing that we do together, because we've already kind of established the overarching message of the book by then, is they walk me through all the things. They tell me, we're on, we're on the phone for 90 minutes to two hours. And they're just going, going, going. As they're sharing all this stuff, I'm taking notes on the back end to create the book outline for the client hmm. after the fact. I'll highlight things like, hey, you mentioned this. I don't think it's important. Tell me why it's important, right? Once we've kind of gone through all of that together, we establish the working outline, which is always changing and that's fine, but it at least gives you a guidepost of what to pull from so you're not frazzled on writing all over the place. <laughs> from that point, we, they're when we're doing coaching, they're writing the content, they're submitting to me. I'm doing my stuff on the back end while they continue writing. So they don't see what I'm doing until the end. Mm. By the time they're done writing, they don't know. This is my secret sauce. I'm giving away secrets right now. <laughs> they don't know that their book's already done. <laughs> oh. So, so the only thing left to do is for them to approve certain things. And then it goes into editing. Mm. And then I take it back from editing and work with them to go through that process. So it's the messy first draft. Then it goes to editing and it's ready for publication. I don't publish with my clients, um, but I do have a publishing partner that they can go over to if they want to. Totally up to them. It doesn't, I mean, whatever. Um, I just, my goal is that the book's ready to go and that they actually do something with it. It breaks yeah. my heart and people write a book and then they sit on it. It just sits in Google Docs or wherever it is for nobody to even see. You spent all the time and energy and it's just going to sit there. That is mm -hmm. so sad. Mm -hmm. So the goal is for that not to happen. For sure. For sure. What if, okay, that's not even the right way to ask this question. So I'm going to back myself up here. Knowing my audience as well as I do, somebody's going to want to know how to get in touch with you. And you're like, okay, this is somebody I need to talk to. I need to learn from her. I need help in getting my book out. How can this person reach out to you? Yeah. Uh, Instagram and Facebook are super easy. It's just at Sheree Trask. And my website is sheretrask.com. My direct email is Sheree at sheretrask.com. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's the easiest way. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> Jumping into, and we've, we've kind of teased at it a little bit earlier, this whole idea of, of relationships, because, you know, the podcast is called Relationships and Revenue. I want to know, what is it that you're doing right now? What are you doing to improve, to make better, to build into your most significant relationships? And what impact do those relationships have on your business? Yeah, you know, I think we've all in some time in our lives been in a place where we maybe had some people in our lives that we knew probably shouldn't be taking up the space they were taking. But for whatever reason, we kept them anyways. So I'm in my 40s now. So as I've gotten older, I've gotten to the place of if it's not like my whole body is not saying yes, it's just a no in relationship mm. period. Like if 
<laughs> I remember my 20s doing a, what I called a friend's cleanse. Um, because <laughs> I was like, I, these people were great for a while, but like they also weren't when it actually mattered. And so I didn't want those relationships anymore. So I, I prefer personally to keep my circle small and intimate and be able to have really quality time with those people to be, to be able to be present in those situations, to be able to, you know, listen and have conversations and not just talk about surface level stuff that like, I'm personally just not that interested in, um, but also being able to have the conversations that matter that move the needle. And I notice that when I'm in an environment where the people in my personal life also have like the same, I guess, fire in their bodies to create an impact in one way or another, ultimately, of course, that drives into my business because it's who I'm then attracting back to me as clients or networking or people that I'm meeting on social media, such as yourself, that are doing great work, uh, things like that. So I, I believe with my whole heart that our relationships are the foundation to every single thing in our life. Mm. And it starts with the relationship with ourselves. And once we've solidified that, and we're continuing to work on that always, right? Like that doesn't stop. But we we can create more of a conscious awareness as to the other relationships and start saying like, is this actually serving the person that I have become, the person that I'm becoming and the life that I want to create? If the answer is no, do they still get to stay? Or is it time to say it was great while it lasted? Let's move forward. Because not everybody is supposed to stay forever. I really believe that. I think that, you know, friendships and relationships of all kinds can be seasonal and that's okay. For sure. Oh yeah. Uh, to me, life is all about relationships. Mm -hmm. And I would say the same thing about business. I know, folks, for those of you who listen and watch this on a regular basis, you may have to just tune John out right now because I say it all the time, but I'm going to say it again. Business is personal because it involves people. There's not one business that exists that was ever started by anything other than a person. And because a person started it, it makes it personal. So let's treat people like that. That's how I roll. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Who is investing in you right now? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I guess it's all how we look at it, right? I'm investing in me. <laughs> yes. Well, I haven't even gotten to that part yet. That's a separate question. <laughs> I think you're investing in me right now because I am. you don't think you're talking about to your audience. And I appreciate that. Um, my partner is investing in me, you know, the people that are supporting this book and what I hope to be a movement are investing in me, um, because they believe that this message is important. Um, yeah, my mom's always investing in me cause she's lovely, but <laughs> well, most moms are like that. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I want to know, now that you mentioned that you're investing in yourself, how are you doing that? Yeah, you know, I, <laughs> it, it feels funny to me to even say now, but I spent the greater part of my life up until probably three years ago in the hustle. I mm. just hustled. And I, I did it at the expense of myself. And, you know, I, I didn't go into all of this and we don't need to go into all of this, but background went after my assault. I spent the uh, nine years of my twenties in the hospital. So it's like that whole time. 
And then once I started to kind of feel better, I got into this hustle mode. I was on this hamster wheel, grinding, 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 wondering why I was sick, blah, 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 all these things. That continued well into my 30s before I was like, oh my God, this is not for me. Like I get hustle culture works for some people. It is so not my brand. It's not what feels good in my body. It doesn't support what I'm trying to create, anything like that. So about three years ago, I really started to consciously change that. And I will not say I'm perfect because I'm not. There are plenty of moments where I'm like, you need to rest. And then I feel guilty for doing that. Um, but I'm really, for me now, investing in myself by slowing down, by saying, I don't have to always be going. It's okay if I don't respond immediately. And giving my, myself the permission to be and rest and do what fills my cup up, which is like, yoga, like right after this, I'm going to yoga because okay. it feels good for me in all of my body and my mind. So. Okay. That's great. Now folks, you know, I can't have somebody on here who's an author and not do what I'm about to do. So here it comes. The first person who listens to this particular episode, when it comes out, when you get out your handy dandy phone and you screenshot it, and you post it on Instagram, you tag me, you tag Cherie. When that happens, the first person who does that is going to get a signed copy of her book on me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what is your go-to habit? Meaning it's something that you do all the time and you think, not only is this important for me to do, everybody should be doing this thing, whatever it is. Okay. I'm going to call myself out first. Okay. <laughs> this is a habit that I absolutely love that I did for I can't tell you how long. And over the last two years, it is kind of dwindled. And it isn't until this week that I was like, I need to get back on that. Okay. And that is waking up first thing in the morning and having quiet, uninterrupted me time, which mm. usually looks like possibly reading something, but definitely journaling just about whatever is coming up for me. Um, it, it could be the most ridiculous thing ever, or it could be something that I really feel like I need to get off my chest. And taking that time and space away from the world to be with myself for the first hour of my day. Okay. Love that. Love that. Because we talk a lot about habits on here. Um, in fact, I'm kind of letting the cat out of the bag here, everybody. So this is kind of a reveal from John. I'm going to have a series of episodes. They're going to be solo episodes coming up on my top five. Now, for those of you who follow me on social media, I've done short little videos about my top five already, but I'm going to go a little deeper into each of those. So hopefully you'll find that helpful and possibly even some things you want to start incorporating into your own lives because I've found all of them to be extremely helpful. Some of them are so simple. You're like, well, duh, why wouldn't I do that? But be surprised at how many of us don't do those small, simple little things that can make such a huge difference. All right. Before we get into our final four, which we're coming up to very quickly, I would like to know for you, what's coming up? What has you excited that's coming up in the future? Honestly, the this book launch has consumed all the things, and I'm just very excited to get this message out there. Um, I'm also in the process of my TEDx applications. So hopefully 2020, hey. you got a TEDx doc. <laughs> yes. 
and I'm stoked about that. So excellent. All right. All right. Well, here's our final four. Again, it's four quick questions. Just tell me the first thing that pops in your head. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Here we go. Question number, <laughs> question number one. Why did God create Cherie? To help people spread their stories. Not surprised by your answer at all with that. <laughs> number two, what are you doing, reading, or listening to right now that's helping you grow? I just picked up the Daily Stoic, which is 365 days of meditations and contemplations. Excellent. What do you do for fun? Spend time with my friends, loved ones. Okay. What are you most grateful for? My life. Okay. And these are just a couple of quick little bonus questions. Uh, there's just one. And it's a uh, podcast that you frequent, other than this one, of course. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, podcast that I frequent. I actually don't have any frequents. <laughs> if I'm being honest, okay. uh, I am totally losing track of what it's called. Uh, hold on. I can tell you. It's a relationship podcast, actually. Okay. Uh, it is called. Well, I won't keep you. It's it's not coming up. It's a relationship podcast, and I love okay. it. The Language of Love with Laura Berman. Okay. Language of love. Got it. Any books that you would recommend? Mine. <laughs> of course. We already know that. <laughs> yes. I would recommend Attached. I would recommend Becoming the One. She is a client of mine. Her book is amazing. It's all about inner child work. Mm. Um, I would recommend, I'm looking at my bookshelf. Oh, The Body Keeps the Score. Amazing book about trauma. And power of attachment. Okay. All excellent. And folks, especially if you're out there doing your thing right now and you're listening to this, don't try and write all this down. We'll put it in the show notes. We'll make sure it's all there for you so you can easily track all these things and be able to purchase them at your leisure. Well, Cherie, it has been an absolute honor to have you on the show, to be able to share a little bit of your story with us and how you have worked through a lot of the trauma that you've had in your life. I know it's an ongoing sort of thing. I'm not trying to downplay that part of it, but you've done a lot of the heavy lifting on this. It's gotten you to this point and we are better because you did that. So thank you. Babe. Thank you. I appreciate that. You bet. So thanks for being here. Thank you all for tuning in. As always, it is an honor to be your host. I thank you for investing your time, which is your most precious resource because I know you can't get it back. So thanks for being here. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlin. Thanks again for listening. And remember, passion gets you started. Purpose keeps you going. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Bye.